Here it is. Again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Hey everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. And this is Tony. Welcome to February 1980 Part 2 episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave 1976 to 1986. Last episode, we covered a whole bunch of albums. We've got quite a few more left. You guys ready to tackle more awesome albums from February of 1980? Yeah, totally. I got to say, you know, the last episode, part one, a lot of music, a lot of great music. Part two is really more of the same. A lot of great music. Yeah, we were we were um, pretty mindful about the the order to make sure that um, some of the best albums were featured in the first episode and the others were featured in this. So it is it's just good across the board. Agreed. Before we start, I want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated. It's going to be really hard when we get to a certain album. (laughs) Um, Because ultimately, we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was created during a pretty unique period of time. Uh, I am really eager to jump back into it, but before we do that, just real quickly for our listeners that don't make it to the very end of the episode, I just want to point out um, our upcoming schedule. So after this, we have a deep dive Uh, we will reveal at the end of the episode what the deep dive is we are once again struggling nailing down a guest so it is quite possible that it get released um the last sunday of the month as opposed to the the traditional third sunday of the month so heads up on that we'll do our best to to stick to our regular schedule but You know, some things are kind of beyond our control. And then that puts us in December. We are taking December off, but we will release at least one episode. I think, Tony, it's going to be our first pop quiz episode. Are you getting prepared? You coming up with your questions? I am. I'm actually going to have to pare it down. I feel like there's been some good good information on the uh, couple months Mm -hmm. that we've covered so far. So it should be fun. Cool. All right, uh, Robin. Anything you wanna you wanna touch base on before we jump back in? No, I'm just looking forward to you know to to getting it all under my belt. This is it's a it's a great month. Yeah, it's a long month. A lot of albums. It's a long month. Okay, let's do yeah. it. All right, let's move on to. <laughs> so. Rob, we have struggled in the past with band names. There have been a couple of bands where we 
put in the article the when it shouldn't be there. I mean, we have uh-huh. a long ongoing struggle with um, buzzcocks, which I oh, think yes. we've basically got ourselves trained. This is the first time I think it's the opposite, where I just want to say Selector, but the name of the band is The Selector. Yeah, me too. I've always just thought of them as Selector, but it is The Selector. So this is their debut album called Too Much Pressure, Uh, the one and only release um, from Two Tones. So they, they they will go on to release more albums but this is the only one on the two-tone label they had um they worked very course two tones that label basically sprung out of the specials and they worked very closely with the specials starting out but really had a falling out over merchandising and uh, sales revenues and stuff like that this was a pretty big hit in the UK at the time. Of course, didn't do anything here in the United States. Had a couple of big hits in the UK with Three Minute Hero and Missing Words. So let's start the conversation first by listening to uh, one of those. So this is Missing Words. It just don't make sense. album hit number five in the UK and has six cover songs. Um, so fitting very much. Um, it's, it's difficult not to compare this to the specials album. I think Mm -hmm. any ska album pales in comparison to the specials. Uh, but, but the specials first debut album, of course. Uh, but this is, pretty good uh, selector was a band that i was familiar with i had heard a couple of their songs had never heard a full album of theirs i like this i like this a lot um uh, i guess my biggest complaint about this album is that uh comparing it to the specials uh the specials <laughs> were really good at transcending the the ska traps you know um uh, a lot of people don't like ska for the same reason they don't like reggae because that sort of like that ska and reggae guitar thing can feel really oppressive um Mm. 
the specials all on their first album pretty much always transcend that. Here, it feels a little confining. So it, uh, the songs do kind of get old fast for me. Um, this is this is one that I'm more inclined to take several songs and throw them on mixes than I am to sit down and listen to the whole album. But um, that's because I, I have a, a kind of a fundamental apprehension about ska music. Um, but boy, this is, this is good. This is great ska. Uh, I think I gotta say missing words is probably my favorite song on the whole album. Um, and I, I really like the way, I really like the way Pauline Black's vocals are with the music. You know, I, I, I think that she's well-suited for this particular song. Um, mm -hmm. my, my opinion of that changes with, with other songs on this album, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's my favorite song and the album to me is all right. It's, it's not amongst my favorite, uh, mm -hmm. that's for sure, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's okay. This is the, by the way, when I said there were two songs or two albums on this playlist, one, I, one was a complete, you know, a, com a complete flat. It just fell flat for me. The other one is this one, which I uh, liked, but not as much as the others. So. Interesting. So the, yeah. that, that unnamed other album, we, we <laughs> will get to, um, toward, towards the end of this conversation. Is, oh, you, is... you know exactly where it falls in our playlist, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, but but that that is that's interesting to me. So you'll um, so you would you would take the um, squeeze album over this album, huh? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably right up there with it. Ah. Uh, to be honest, you know, I yeah, I but for some and for some reason, just so I almost called them selector. Uh, the selector, <laughs> it, the selector did didn't just didn't do a whole lot for me um huh. yeah and i don't know if it's honestly to be honest what i think it is is the is is pauline black like for some reason i mean she's a perfectly fine vocalist she's got great energy um but it doesn't feel right most on most tracks for me as far mm. as how it how she works with the music around her um, although maybe a, another problem was that I was comparing them to, uh, specials. Yeah. <laughs> I would call this my second favorite ska album. Um, yeah. at this point, out of two, I, I, out of two I, ska I, albums. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually really like this album. Now it's interesting. Uh, uh, Pauline Black actually, uh, does not have nice things to say about this album, particularly mm -hmm. in the way that it was produced. She was very, that was one of the reasons why um, they left the label after this album. She felt like it was, it was really misproduced. They didn't have the right producer oh. who uh, the, the producer did not focus on the strengths of the band. Um, so maybe there's something going on there where, where uh, both you and she agree that um, this album doesn't yeah. play to her strengths, possibly. That, that that does make sense. Like I said, I think mm -hmm. she's a perfectly fine vocalist. It to me, 
it's almost like she and the the instrumentation is working against each other. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I I similar to that to the extent that I really enjoyed her vocals, but I felt like the songs may not have been the best vehicle for her voice. Mm. Yeah, there you so go. kind of a mix between what both of you have said. I, I really like this album. I'd say this is a earlier example that Joseph gave. I, I really like the A side. B sides started to slip a little bit for me, but I did. I certainly thought it was a, a solid album, but I, you know, I do think it's just not quite um, stellar to me. And I, it, whether it's her v- voice mixed in with the music, um, she does later play with the Gorillas, if you're familiar oh, with yeah. you know, one of the more recent uh, groups. Oh, you're um, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's fantastic. I love yeah. the Gorillas. I mean, yeah. the Gorillas got me through the early <laughs> aughts. They were they were producing the most interesting music in yeah. the early aughts, as far as I'm concerned. That's the same. By the way, not to be confused with Gorillas. This is the Gorillas. Um. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic news. Yeah. And and the last thing I'll add, again, another little piece of trivia, but Black also formed a group with members of the Stranglers, mm-hmm. Stiff Little uh-huh. Fingers, and uh, Bad Manners. So um, it feels like she's done some exciting things. And after, what, what after is the script. name of that band? Three Men and Black. Holy <laughs> smoke, because that sounds like that sounds like my idea of heaven. Three Men in Black. That's the name of the group. She apparently also did a lot of acting, by the way. Yeah. Did they release an album? It says they toured. I didn't see if I have not listened or found an album by them, but it said that they toured. I don't know if they all played their own hits or how that sounded, but I thought that found, sounded fascinating. Nice. Oh, no, yeah. It looks like there was an album released in 2004 now that I'm reading a little bit further along, so... Okay, so Tony, you you picked a song uh, off this album. What's uh, what's your pick? The song I I selected was "Time Hard," also known as "Everyday." Another stellar song off of this album. Um, I I really I th- I think I'm the <laughs> I think I'm the the strongest proponent of this album out of the three, which surprises me. Um, it's it's not even in question. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So that yeah. is uh, the Selectors' debut album called uh, "Too Much Pressure." Um, I like it, but I don't think it's. I don't I don't think there's much of a chance it's going to end up on my top 10 of the year list. However, I I suspect, well I know for a fact that there are people out there in our audience that are big ska fans. So I anticipate it's it's going to show up on a list or two. I am interested in hearing some more of Pauline Black, so I want to know, you know, I'm going to go check out some of the other stuff that she's done. And, and you know what, you've also sparked in me, I'm going to go pull out my gorillas albums Mm. and listen to that some more too. Um, 
but yeah, not going to make my list, unfortunately. And from there, I guess that leads us into our next album. Um, when, when we are faced with deciding who gets to do what, uh, who gets to cover what album? Joseph kind of sits back and lets, you know, he he lets everybody pick before he has a chance to. And I think that's just because, you know, Joseph likes talking about music and he'll talk about whatever album is on the plate. Um, I was pretty stoked that I got to pick uh, Psychedelic Furs. So this is Psychedelic Furs album, Psychedelic, the Psychedelic Furs. Um, of course, this is a band who were founded in London in 1977. Um, they're, uh, oh, let me just say this. I have written down in my notes, FJS exclamation point. And I've had that several places in my notebook. And that means for Joseph's sake. So, <laughs> so for Joseph's sake, we're going to talk about Rolling Stone. <laughs> so Rolling, <laughs> Rolling Stone included this album in their 80 greatest albums of the 1980s, mm. which is pretty stout. That's only 80 albums. And you know that Rolling Stone has covered thousands upon thousands of releases over the years. Um, again, it was, uh, it was, this album was recorded in London for Columbia Records. It was number 140 on the Billboard Pop Albums charts. Um, the band consisted of Richard Butler on vocals, John Ashton on guitar, Tim Butler on bass, Vince Eli on drums, Roger Maris on guitar, and Duncan Kilburn on sax. Uh, what I like about this, upon just... Just upon, you know, I, I mean, I've always liked the Psychedelic Furs, but just upon reading a little bit about it, uh, Steve Lillywhite had a hand in producing this album, and I'm glad he did. Mm -hmm. there, were, there were actually four different producers on this album, and one might assume that this record, you know, would be like putting together uh, a jigsaw puzzle with pieces put together from four different puzzles, but... It works here. It all came together quite well. We're going to talk about more, but before we get into that, let's uh, let's go ahead and listen to some music. So, Tony, what is your song? This is a great album, and so picking a track for me was a little bit of a challenge, but I picked the song The Fall uh, because it rocks. You will have a press of white. You will have a ring of gold. You will have a paper snow. The Fall. First thing I noticed about this song was the horns. I love the horns <laughs> on this. The second thing I noticed was that Tony put the in front of fall. So, <laughs> um, correction, it is called fall. The name of the song is fall. There's a band called the fall. Um, but it, it's, it's that little three letter word that gets us so often. <laughs> um, but you're right. Fantastic, fantastic song and fantastic album. By the way, they, they did re-release this album in 2002. 
and it contained two songs that were only on the U.S. release, uh, Susan Strange and Soap Commercial, um, and as well as a rendition of Mac the Knife, because, you know, nobody has <laughs> ever covered that old classic before. <laughs> but a fan, fantastic album. Joseph's been awfully quiet. How do you feel about this album, Joseph? I like it. I like it a lot. I was a big Psychedelic Furs fan in the mid-80s. However, I don't believe that I owned any of their albums that were released earlier than Forever Now. And I owned Forever Now. I owned every album at released after that um, up through the end of the 80s. And it seems to me like maybe I, I've heard some of their earlier albums, but maybe not. Uh-huh. Uh, so all of this stuff before Forever Now... I was just familiar with the song here, a song there, because I had several like best of compilations. So there are, as we've talked, had discussions about in the past, there are bands where best of compilations work just fine. Like Blondie. Mm -hmm. Blondie is a fantastic band to grab a best of, you know, but there are, other bands like we've discussed in the past where listening to a best of is really a disservice. Um, so Japan is kind of the big example where, boy, you don't uh, want a best of album from, from them. Uh, I think psychedelic furs is kind of like that too, because there are a couple of songs off of this album that I was familiar with because they were on best of and you put a song like sister Europe or Im- imitation of Christ next to the ghost in you or uh, love my way. And th- it just, they pale in comparison because they're just two completely different beasts. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I was actually kind of dreading this album. I was curious, but, but, kind of not kind of, you know, kind of thinking that I wasn't going to like it very much. Um, but it, it is a really good album. It is just so very different than, you know, I, I feel like they really hit their stride when they, when they get a little bit less, um, lo-fi and, get a little bit more produced and go in more of a pop direction. I mean, uh, Butler creates some of the most sublime new wave pop of the, of the mid eighties. I love his pop stuff. Uh, but this is a whole different beast and it works. Yeah. I was really surprised to hear that there's four different producers because it, it is, it creates his own little ethos. You know, we were talking um, last episode, we had a very long conversation about lyrics and poetry. 
Um, yeah, we right. <laughs> and and you know because you edited yeah. it. <laughs> um, and you know, I I like Jim Carroll just fine, but his his lyrical style is I, I don't have anything against it, but it doesn't resonate with me. But Richard Butler, man. <laughs> I just I love his poetry, his his lyrical poetry. I mean, lines like we cut his eyes with the razor blades and out of him comes foul white light. What yeah. the fuck? I mean, that's mind blowing <laughs> to me, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is the chorus of one of these songs off of this album. Yep. I, I just, <laughs> I, you know, and by the time he gets to um, Forever Now, I, I think his lyric writing is not quite as out there in a, in a good way, like, like this stuff is, I love his lyrics on off of this album. I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this album. I think this is fantastic. What a nice surprise. I thought it was going to be yeah. dreary. I mean, it's dark. It's, it's oppressive. It's kind of depressing, but it is so good. Well, there is a, there is a song on the album that I think uh, could be like, you know, it could make these guys like the goth band in the making. You know, it's there's there's there like you said, there's some dark there's some dark stuff on here. But again, fantastic, fantastic music, fantastic songs. Mm -hmm. and, and like you pointed out, you know, there's this thing could have been a mess with all the producers that they had. Uh, they did go with Steve Lillywhite on the next album to produce it, but uh, in researching uh, this album. Uh, both David Bowie and David Byrne asked to produce their second album. So when you make a debut album, you have both those artists offering to produce your second album. I mean, that, that speaks a lot to the quality of this album. Right. That's for sure. We've been talking about saxophone. I love the saxophone on this album. <laughs> yeah, I knew you would. The songwriting is decent. I, I think the, the strongest part of the songwriting is the lyrics, but even if maybe it's not as uh, stellar songwriting as the psychedelics will go on to do uh, later on, I, I think the uh, instrumentation, the arrangements keep these songs interesting. I think some of the lesser compelling moments on this album is when Richard Butler I mean, this is his first album. He's a young guy. He's developing his style and everything. Um, there are moments where he's he's kind of sounding like a wannabe um, a Johnny Rotten, which is, mm. uh, I don't feel like plays to his strengths, but uh, but still doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, mar the album too much. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, th yeah. I think this is great. I did not realize that the song Soap Commercial was not on the original UK LP. Ah. It was on the original US LP, um, but it is, uh, I think I think it really is my, my favorite song off of this album. Mm -hmm. 
I just want to say that I think the vocals on so commercial rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they are so awesome. And um, when I first listened to the album, I think I listened to the uh, U.S. release, which is why this song, you know, why, why I heard it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do. I really enjoy it. And yeah, it's just fantastic. Well, well, that's great. I mean, I, I'm glad to hear that that um, you like it. I sort of thought that you would gravitate more towards the darker, mopier stuff. I mean, so, well, so, so yeah. commercial is dark, but it is like more like upbeat and okay. aggressive. So, so my favorite song on the whole album was Imitation of Christ. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that song, I, I love it. I, I love the guitars to be, they're the most interesting part of the song. Um, I like the vocals and the lyrics. And again, um, there's this moodiness to it that makes, again, like I said, it's, it's, it's something you'd hear from like an early goth band, you know, mm-hmm. pretty cool stuff. But the album overall is fantastic. So that was Psychedelic Furs album, Psychedelic Furs. We spent a lot of time talking about that record. I'm going to put a question mark by it. It might actually make my list. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I like it a lot, but I think I I can strike it off of my list. I don't think it's quite going to make it uh it is really good it is really good i i could change my mind i'll certainly come back to it um i think Uh ultimately um the the psychedelic fur my favorite psychedelic furs will always be you know the um the pop new wave phase forever now and mirror moves Mm -hmm. um they they are no new wave bands can touch them when they're in that mode as as far as i'm concerned but i it was such a relief to listen to this album and realize oh yeah i i really like early psychedelic furs fantastic all right let's move on to another really great surprise for me another one that i was kind of uh, slightly dreading, and that is the debut album by Martha and the Muffins. This is a band <laughs> that is not served well by its name. <laughs> <laughs> I was familiar with Martha and Mu- Muffins. Echo Beach was their their big hit. I was familiar with it. I've I've actually warmed up to that song um, over the last week and a half if I've been listening to it. At the time that I first heard it, I felt like it was a little gimmicky. For some reason, I have conflated Martha and the Muffins with the waitresses, which oh, I don't yeah, know I why. Maybe maybe they were both on a a compilation or something. I'm happy to say that that I was that I was wrong. This is a great album. Uh, let's kick things off with their biggest hit, um, Echo Beach. On silent summer evening, the skies are lined with lights. A building in the distance, surrealistic sight. On Echo Beach, waves make the only sound. Not a solo round 
song hit number one in Portugal, uh, number three in their homeland of Canada, number five in Australia, and number 10 in the UK. Of course, this is a Canadian band. In 1983, they made some slight uh, personnel changes and continued as M&M for another three years then they broke up uh and then they kept reuniting of here and there they they released two more albums in 1992 and 2010 but this album is by far their most popular album i like this album a lot um i i think it's I think it's great. I I'm I have no more reservations about Martha and the Muffins now that I know nice. what I'm actually talking about. <laughs> now, now that you know the muffins aren't being served by the way. That's right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. What about you, Rob? Well, I really liked this album, like you. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was a big surprise to me, and part of the reason is because of the name. I got to admit mm. it. Uh, I know you're not supposed to cho- uh, you know judge a book by its cover, but Martha and the Muffins does not do them justice. I will just no. say that it just doesn't. It doesn't. Um, Echo Beach, by the way, it. I I had never heard any of these songs. Uh, they were completely new to not me. Not even Echo Beach. Not that I hadn't I heard it either. Really? Yeah, not that I recall. Wow, that surprises me. I I like this album. I I don't remember any songs off of this album that that I, I don't like. I think I like them all. Nice. Yeah. And I'm probably in the middle. I thought it was a good album. Um, I don't know if I'd put it in the stellar category, but I, I Echo Beach song I hadn't heard before. Really enjoyed it. Several other songs I was like, wow, this is uh, totally off my radar. Didn't realize it was out there, uh, but really, really enjoyed it. Um, it another a group where you feel like they disbanded fairly fairly quickly, and then all these other things happen. You look at the the members that later joined this group, or what these members later did in another group that had just a stellar um, after career, if you will, after Martha and the Muffins. So um, looking at one of the members that joined, uh, her brother is a big YouTube producer and also produced a later Eminem album. So just uh, uh, it feels like a lot of talent in this group. I just feel like this album almost got there, but the band probably didn't have everything it needed to, to make it to the next level. So, Rob, unless I'm missing something, I'm kind of thinking back here. Um, this, I might call this the first great Canadian New Wave album. Oh, okay. The first? Can, <laughs> yeah. can you think of uh, I'm thinking back here. You know, 
Uh, part of me was like, we had to have covered a Canadian band. No, no, we have, I, but I don't think anything particularly stellar. Particularly great, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you may be right, man. This, wow. Well, I, I, uh, I, yeah. I think it's a contender for that title. Um, the first yeah. great Canadian <laughs> new wave album. Um, well, so, so far it's got the title. <laughs> stay tuned. I'll, I'll do a little. This idea just popped into my head, so now I got to go back and do my research. But, but I, oh, yeah. I, I think for now, let's put a thumbtack in that and 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 move on. Um, Rob, you you picked a song uh, to feature off of this album. What'd you pick? I picked Shrinking Land. Miles below a city threat in light Up above a jet plane passing in the night Left behind a life you've known too long Just ahead a new horizon glows You know, it's interesting, as as you mentioned earlier, Rob, both you and Tony chose which albums you, you were going to focus on and then left the rest to me, which is great. All of the, I think all of the female-led albums you left to me, which I thank you for. This is, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I think of all of the months that we've looked at up until now uh this is the highest ratio of female vocalists uh that we've had i could be wrong about that but you know so far it's yeah. a it, punk and new wave is kind of at this point kind of um, a boys club but man not in february and and really yeah. some of the some of the absolute high highlights of of this output are female led Led vocalists. That's Martha and the Muffins' debut album titled Metro Music. Uh, it's a great album. I expect it to show up on uh, a number of lists, uh, particularly people. We have a pretty strong listenership in Canada, so I expect to to see them pop up there. This is another one that's going to just fall short, I think, of of my top ten. Um, it's it's a great album. I have nothing negative to say about it. Yeah, I I liked it a lot too. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to make my top ten. Um, but it's since it's hit my radar, it's definitely going to make the rounds from time to time. Like I'll, I'll I'll listen to it over and over again. Yeah, I agree with Rob. I, I I would listen to it again. I don't know if it'll make my top ten list, but certainly uh, enjoyed it and will listen to it again. And if you want some additional homework, Martha of Martha and the Muffins, she did record a children's album in the 90s, and she won a Juno Award for that. So there's some additional uh, homework that I'm interested in listening to what she sounds like a few years later. But this album, solid album, just not on my final list. Fantastic. 
Next is a great album uh, from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Their debut album uh, came out in February of 1980, uh, self-titled. This album is another fascinating album in the in the sense that when we've talked about a few albums where the U.S. listing, the U.K. listing are slightly different, that happened in this case also. Uh, many, many artists have listed this album as a inspiration, as an album they consider to be uh, one of the best. I think when you ask the members of OMD how they feel about it, uh, they've been very dismissive of it in some cases, where they feel like it's naive and the music is minimalistic in some cases. But I think it's a solid album. We had several hits that came from it. You had Electricity, Messages, and Red Frame, White Light in the UK that all charted. This, while it didn't make the top 10 album chart in the UK, Basically, the rest of the albums, the rest of the decade, certainly did, so this laid the groundwork for that. With our first song that we want to listen to is my pick, which is Bunker Soldiers. you can um, step back now and watch as Rob and I rumble over this album. <laughs> I, knew it. I see it. I, knew I it. see it coming. Uh, uh, I oh, love this album so much. Um, uh, Rob and I have quite a discussion um, to be had o- over this album. We touch base about this album a couple of weeks ago at that point you were feeling no yeah. love for this are you is that yeah. is that where you're at no really no no it's grown on me oh okay um <laughs> yeah no it's grown on me um i am not i'm i want to say a little more than lukewarm though. oh okay so, so that's still pretty bad we we're we're still gonna have words yeah, <laughs> yeah. um I mean, I think it's all right. You know, I think it's it, as far as uh, as far as a debut album, I think it's an OK attempt. It's not I I don't know. I guess I, I just like their their more recent stuff more. You know, mm. it uh, you know, I kind of it's a whole different sound in a way. And I got used to that sound and that sound grew on me. And that, you know, I feel like I was kind of raised on mm. that sound. And and this is quite different than than that mm, so mm-hmm. when i did first listen to it i was not having it at all mm. but as i've listened to it more i i've grown attached to it so um yeah i don't dislike the album and i don't hate the album i think this is the first 
synth pop album that I am like a hundred percent in on. I love this wow. album so much. You and I, apparently, Rob, we have very, very yeah. different tastes when it comes to synth pop. I think that's, yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out like what the X factor is here. You know, what is, huh. what makes me flip for this, but not for John Fox or Gary Newman, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And you're, it sounds like you're exactly the opposite. And what I love about this, it is synth pop. I mean, it is definitely synth pop, but this is sweaty, grimy, stinky synth pop, <laughs> right? You can, you can feel the yeah. blood and the sweat pouring off of them. Um, it is, I know exactly what it, it is. It is so warm and human. Um, yeah. and I think, I, that's I think exactly. that's the X factor. <laughs> well, I, when you made the comment about, uh, them being the sweaty, grimy humans, mm -hmm. normally <laughs> I love yeah. that in a band and you know, I do, but, uh, when I like my synth pop, I like my synth poppers to be robots. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think, I think when it comes to the synth pop, I like, I like that, like, um, that sort of alien sounding mm -hmm. vocal mm -hmm. track mm -hmm. and the, you know, just the, the other world or worldliness of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and this, maybe the reason I didn't care for it was it just felt too honest, mm -hmm. too real. I mean, let's not get carried away with honest. I mean, they, they're singing songs <laughs> about electricity and everything. It's, it's, you know, electricity is real. <laughs> well, it's real, but I mean, lyrically they're, they're, you know, they're nothing. Yeah. They're not playing nothing in the same field as joy division or anything, you know, no, they're it. not no, singing not about suicide and shit no. like that. So, no. well, in the honesty and real department, I mean the sound of it, mm, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. No. Yeah. And I mean, it's okay to me. It's interesting that, you know, Paul and Andy formed this duo and they originally came from the id, which was an eight person group where a lot of these songs ended up mm. coming from and whether, you know, how do you go from a very large group down to a duo? Uh, to me, that's really interesting and in how they kind of formed the sound of what would be OMD. Okay, let's move on to my pick off of this album, an insanely catchy song called Red Frame White Light. Red Frame White Light's one of my favorite tracks on this album. And as mentioned earlier, another case where the original release, in this case in the UK, included that song, but the US release did not. Um, the US release didn't happen, I think, until a year later. 
and it was a compilation of the first two albums by OMD, taking the songs that I guess management and the record label felt would be uh, translating over to the U.S. market. But that song is 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 awesome, and I wish that had been included on the U.S. release also. But it is on the uh, the CD reissue. But just a great band. Uh, for me, I think they will be a strong contender for my top 10, which I feel like I might be too early saying that since we're only in February so far. And I feel like there's a couple of albums that are strong contenders for my list. But uh, this certainly is a, another strong debut by a 20-year-old uh, duo that just amazes mm-hmm, me. So, mm-hmm. Well, my prediction is going to be in the bottom half of my top 10 list. Um, that's... Who knows? We've got a long time, a long way to go. But this is, I I love the grimy, sweaty, poppy, catchy thing. What a cool dynamic! Yeah, and I gotta say, it's it's not gonna make my. Yeah. Again, I like this album a little bit more than I did several weeks ago, um, <laughs> but but it's grown on me, and uh, but but yeah, still there's so much good stuff to come. This this probably won't even get close um on that note we can go into uh, another album um so what we're going to cover next is the knacks but the little girls understand and uh the knacks a california band we heard a little bit about them um they came around 1978 uh they hit fame with the number one hit single my sharona the band consists of Douglas Feger on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, Burton Avery lead lead guitar, background vocals, and Prescott Nile on and Prescott Nile on bass, Bruce Gary on drums. Uh, this was the lineup for about the first three albums, but the little girls understand is their second album, so uh, they've got this band for like one more album and then. Then it all all goes wild. Uh, this album was re- released on Capitol Records. It reached number fifteen on the Billboard 200 in 1980. And uh, two singles on the album: "Baby Talks Dirty" and "Can't Put a Price on Love," charted on Billboard's Hot 100 at number 38 and number 62. Let's go ahead and listen to some music, though. Um, the first song we're gonna gonna listen to is my pick. Hold on tight and don't let go. That's a good pick, Rob. Uh, for me, uh, the songs, if you don't listen to the lyrics, the songs aren't aren't bad. Um, <laughs> I'll have to say uh, I do rate this one uh, as my other one at the bottom of my list, but it's not from a lack of trying. I just my feeling is that Doug uh, figure the lead singer, lead songwriter, 
just doesn't really know what his sound is. And so he's picking from, you know, 60s, all these different sounds. Yeah. And I feel like there's no distinctive voice and he's following, you know, uh, something that's popular in his lyrics. Again, I think he was what um, at the time he was actually, I think, 28 years old. So I feel like his lyrics should have been better than they were. But uh, <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, Sharona is on the cover of this album. Uh, which is interesting, but overall, if it was on a playlist, I'd be okay with it. But as an album, start to finish, it certainly lacks individuality, its own stamp. And it's unfortunate what the record label kind of put this band through, making them feel like they were a bigger thing than they really were at the time because of the, the hit My Sharona. They wouldn't let them they wouldn't let them do interviews. They wouldn't let them even on American Bandstand. So they were kind of kept this mystery sort of persona to themselves. And I feel like that just continued to alienate them. And people that hated the song a year ago just completely abandoned them. You know, even Johnny Rotten was on American Bandstand. Come on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, Joseph. Yeah. Let's go ahead and start this conversation. Let's hear what you have to say about this album. Yeah, there's nothing that I like about this album. Um, I <laughs> I am so done with the knack. Uh, I just, they are not for me. I, I could spend the next time, next 10 minutes ranting about this album, but what's the point? Um, I guess the, the one thing, one good thing I have to say about this album is the... Album title notwithstanding, um, mm -hmm. lyrically, this is not nearly as offensive as their first album. It's not as icky. <laughs> uh, but boy, I, I just don't like anything about this album. Like the song that we just heard, I mean, that's Buddy Holly. I, that I'm yeah. so tired of hearing wannabe Buddy Holly songs. I mean, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Buddy Holly. I, I think Buddy Holly is just fine. Um, I will take Buddy Holly over Elvis Presley every time. Of course, I'll take Little Richard Ooh. over both of them. But, but I don't. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is thirty years later. We don't. You know, nobody's going to do Buddy Holly better than Buddy Holly. If I want to hear Buddy Holly, I'm going to go listen to Buddy Holly, and so that's. That's my rant about Buddy Holly. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, I'm glad I'm not alone in this because, uh, and I feel the same way. I mean, the song that I picked, Hold On Tight and Don't Let Go, is my favorite song on the album, but that's not saying I like mm. it. I'm not saying I like the album. <laughs> I think the song's all right. I think, it's a, I think it's a decent song, but I do think it is a great high point in, in this album. So, you know, it's kind of funny. The most successful single off of this album, Baby Talks Dirty. Boy, yeah. are they trying to recreate My Sharona. My Sharona. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, they, are. they are. It is so it, transparent. Yeah. It, blows, <laughs> it blows me away that I don't know this. I mean, number 15 on the Billboard 200, uh, you know, they had six singles and two of them were on the Hot 100 at. 38 and 62 that well that's that's was, that's leftover goodwill from my sharona that's yeah it agreed. Could, yeah i guess so i guess so all right well so here's your uh fun fact um producer on this album mike chapman 
uh-huh. produced a lot of the Blondie music. Yeah. So yeah, when you yeah. think of Heart of Glass, uh, when you think of yeah. the, uh, you know, Call Me was produced by Giorgio Moroder, but uh, Chapman worked on a number of albums with Blondie and was one of the most in-demand producers at the time. So I'm sure when, you know, their their record label offered them up, Mike Chapman, that should have been gold yeah. to them. But it wasn't. Hey, I will all. I mean, the work that he do, did with with Blondie, I will always give Mike Chapman a pass. And I will just chalk this album up to, you know, you can put a wig on it, you can put a, you can put <laughs> sunglasses on it, but a pile of crap is always going to be a pile of crap. <laughs> you know, it's not your fault, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the knack with But the Little Girls Understand. And it sounds like uh, it's not going to make a whole lot of people's list. It's certainly not going to even come close to making mine. And I I, I speak for Joseph because I know what Joseph's going to say. But (laughs) go ahead and say it. Well, (laughs) I don't believe that their first album made anyone's list uh, from Mm -hmm, from our listeners. And. If that's true, there's no way that this one is going to. Yeah. I am happy to say we are moving on to Toya's <laughs> debut album. This is an album called Sheep Farming in Barnett. Uh, this is an artist that I was familiar with uh, because she was featured in one of our very favorite new wave uh, movies, <clears throat> which of course is Erg a Music War. So I've got a fair amount to say about this album, but let's kick it off with uh, I think, well, it is not my favorite song on the album. My favorite song on the album is a song called Danced, which was the song that was featured in Erg a Music War, but um, I th- think. We want to dig a little bit deeper, so instead uh, we are going to start out with the song called Our Movie. Let my light blast your shadow into the trees. Be my tall black ghost Toya, uh, the band, is fronted by Toya Wilcox. Uh, she's an English artist. Now, this uh, this album had a, a kind of a curious rollout. So it was originally released in 1979 as an extended EP, 
And then there was another version that was released that had a couple more songs, but it wasn't until a February of 1980 that the, the full LP was released in the UK. It hit number one on the UK Independent Albums charts. This was probably the album that I was the most excited about, and it fell a little short of my expectations. I, I like it. I think that it was probably not serviced well by being released the same month as Lydia Lunch and Martha and the Muffins. I feel yeah. like of the three leads, she is the one who just feels like the less talented and inspired of the three. I I I like it, but I'm surprising. I'm surprised that I'm this cool on the. What uh, What about you, Rob? How are you feeling? I mean, the well, weirdness is there. The attitude is there. Yeah, I liked it a lot, but but I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling the same vibe you are. I think for me, what it was is those other artists seem to be more real and yes, more authentic, the DIY feel, and this one is more produced and more. It's it's almost like it's very formulaic in a way mm. uh, and it's trying to sound like that um but yeah those uh, authentic is definitely the word those others feel more authentic than this one and and i think that's exactly the way i feel you know that oh, that's exactly the way i feel i think that's what you're trying to to explain um but i I think I may like it a little more than you. Mm. Maybe I don't. Maybe I like it as much as you, but my expectations were pretty low to begin mm. with. So so I was a little surprised by this album. I'd never heard of Toya. I had, to my recollection, not heard any of these, any of the tracks, any of the songs by this band. And when I heard this album, I was kind of pleasantly surprised, mm. but it was, it was mildly pleasant it why it didn't really excite me <laughs> mm -hmm. didn't really excite me a whole lot yeah i mean i feel like at her least compelling she comes off as sort of like a low rent Susie and the banshees you know yeah, yeah. um she's i mean it's not like she's going through the motions. It's not like she's not working really hard. Maybe she's working too hard with all of her like squeals and, f and variations of what she's doing with her voice. Um, it, she, I, I hate to say this, but it feels a little, she kind of feels like a bit of a poser to me, you know? Yeah, that's a yeah. such a judgment thing. Um. It's 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 <laughs> wow. But but I think again, yeah, I think again, what you're saying is again that this it almost feels like they created a mold mm. and they said, okay, now step into it. And so she stepped into it. It's not like she's doing this from her heart. It's kind of a plasticky feeling. I, it, mm. you know, just again like a a produced feeling or, yeah. or a you know. Uh, you know, 
it's just not authentic. I mean, I think it probably just comes down to raw talent where, you know, yeah. Lydia Lunch, I mean, she is a real thing. You feel like she got there, she started out from the gutter and just like, just clawed her way up to this sort of brilliant realization of of her art. And I, yeah. those none of those words in that last sentence, I, I would be compelled to use to describe this album. I, I like it. I, I, I know I'm dissing on it. And I, I, it's, it's unfortunate that we're talking about it at the same time that we're talking about these other two artists. Um, but, but eh, I'm surprisingly eh on this. I, I would say that she's an artist where there's a couple good tracks and then the rest of the album, okay, we have we have to finish this album. Let's write some other songs really quick and let's record them. That's what mm-hmm. it felt like to me. Like there's some songs I'm like, oh, I like these. And I didn't mind her voice, but it certainly felt like she just ran out of steam. If you look at her UK career the rest of the decade, she puts up some solid numbers with her subsequent albums. This album, uh, her, her first album, Sheep Farming in Barnett, is available on Spotify and it looks like along with most of her catalog the good news is in the top five most streamed songs of hers uh, none of the songs are off of this album so 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 she, maybe she just hasn't hit her stride yet uh-huh uh-huh there you go because it's sounds it's, good it's not <laughs> like she's boring. I don't think anyone right. would call this a bland album. It's just not landing for me. Yeah. yeah. So, Rob, you you picked a song off this album. Um, is this yeah. is this your favorite song? It, it it's definitely what I feel to be the most interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I know that doesn't sound like I like it at all. Um, it is my favorite song, but I think. I don't know exactly what it is. I can't put words to it. Uh, but this is Elusive Stranger. That is Toya's debut album, Sheep Farming in Barnett. Uh, it is not one that I'm going to come back to, not in the running for my personal top 10 list. It seems unlikely uh, that it's going to show up on many, many people's top 10 lists. You never know. Um, I think it's a real, real dark horse for the final top 10. If you're um, putting together your list and you're short for time, I think, I think it's 
this would be, I mean, get to it before you get to the Knack album for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I, I, this just doesn't feel essential to me on any level. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, yeah, we've got w one more album to go, Tony. Um, we're, are we going out with a bang? We are. We're at the end of the century. So <laughs> we're going to talk about the Ramones here and their fifth studio album that came out in 1980. Uh, a little bit of a departure for them after four albums. And this also, I think, was the longest break they took between albums. Their last album was in 1978, was Road to Ruin. Uh, this one, big expectations from the record label. Um the Ramones were also hoping to break out more than they had before in both the UK and the US. So in this case, they actually hired Phil Spector as their producer. And I would argue in earlier when we listened to the Knack, I probably would have switched producers and given Phil Spector to the Knack and let mm. uh, them work with, uh, with him. Um, so on some, uh, Scenarios, this could have been a great album. I like a lot of this album, but then there's a lot of this album that just feels overproduced with the wall of sound from Phil Spector, completely the opposite of, I think, what the Ramones stand for. This was their first album without Tommy Ramone, and most of the lyrics to these, this album was from Joey Ramone, who actually has said that he didn't like singing on this album, but... Uh, I still think there's some good tracks on here. I think it still continues the the saga and the the sound of the Ramones and what they would be for the rest of the decade. And so the first song we're listening to is my pick, which is Danny Says. I do think it sounds a lot like the Beach Boys in some respects. It's probably one of their longer songs at three minutes and six seconds. But I really uh, enjoy that song. I like them stretching, doing something a little different. They had three hits from this album. Uh, the two rock and roll songs, Rock and Roll High School, Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio? And then the third song, yeah. Baby I Love You, which was a cover of a Ronette song written by Phil Spector. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually think that's the weakest of all the Ramones song does. And it really. Oh, yeah. And it's really only Joey singing on that song. Everything else is not played by the Ramones. So I would take that song off the album in a heartbeat if I could. But like I said, several songs on here, I think, are great or fun and continue the uh, Ramones uh, sound. 
you you, uh, you talked about how they sounded like the Beach Boys, and and the Rollins have always done that a little bit, um, but they've always been fast about it. I think this album's got for the Ramones a bunch of slower stuff, slower songs, you know, um, and uh, I mean that's I don't I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's just with age or or maturity or I don't know, but to me they're I like their faster, like harder kicking stuff better. You know, it's just, that's what I like about them when they belt out those songs in like a minute and 30, a, a five, they'll kick out a five minute song in a minute and 30 seconds. You know, <laughs> that's one of the things I like about the Ramones. So. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a Ramones fan and that's how I feel about it. Um, I picked, uh, I picked a song for this album. And it is one of those kind of faster, harder, harder kicked, uh, you know, quicker paced songs uh, called All the Way. said it before and i'll say it again this is sort of my my stock reaction to the ramones i like it don't love it it's the ramones i i i think we need to print that on shirts <laughs> by the way i i just sell it in our store it'll be our merch i i i'm a little surprised that that like this is an album that is that is a divisive album for Ramones fans mm -hmm. because it just sounds like another Ramones album to me. I mean, I I like the the first song before the vocals come in, you would never guess it was the Ramones. So so I hear those differences, but it's still still got the Ramones energy, the Ramones flavor and all of that and I Honestly, I don't like this album any more or any less than any of the other Ramones albums. I, th I think it's just fine. It's the Ramones. Well, their first couple of albums, I don't think they spent more than $10,000 producing an individual album. This album cost over 200000 Yeah. Well, that's, that's Phil Spector. And yeah, I think, exactly. I think it's yeah, I think it's hilarious sure. that he stuck one of his own songs on there to get that that songwriting royalty what a what a little <laughs> and depending on <laughs> and, and depending on which ramon you talk to i mean he supposedly held them at gunpoint until they got the lyrics right on, yeah. on a song uh, i wouldn't put it past Bill <laughs> well he's the, he's got one of he's, many bands he's done he's that got, too yeah and for um I, I think it was rob um you know chinese rock was co-written by richard hell oh yeah well we have we have right. had that's right I forgot about this we've had discussions about this and first of all I'd like to say 
I like this version so much better than the um, Johnny Thunder yeah. uh, version. And hearing this version has convinced me that Richard Hell is absolutely full of shit. Of course, <laughs> this is a uh, Ramones point uh, pen song. I mean, it's... It was pretty clear hearing the the first version of it, but now that I hear the Ramones do it, of course this was written by wh which one of the Ramones did it? Joey, Tommy, Dee Dee, Dee Dee, Peter Ramone, yeah, yeah. There's, so for anyone who didn't catch uh, the episode where we covered the Johnny Thunder um, album, that we had a long discussion about it. The the song is credited to both Richard Hell and Dee Dee Ramone, uh, not because they sat down and wrote it together, but because both of both of them claimed that they were the sole writers, right. and that was the kind of the solution. But there, there's no way, as far as I'm concerned, there's no way that Richard Hell wrote this song. <laughs> They might have, I think the reason why each of them claims it, they don't really remember it, is they might have been on heroin at the time. Mm. And so there was some sort of drug-infused yeah, sure. uh, fusion <laughs> yeah. that happened. The Ramones and End of the Century. For me, there's some really solid tracks on this album and some that obviously I'm not as big of a fan on. So whether it makes my top ten list, it's going to be, I'd say, honorable mention. Now, it is... It was included in your predictions that it would make the final top 10. It was. And I think initially, now that I've kind of gone back through it again, I'm like, well, I, I, I think the listeners may not rank it in the top 10 after listening to it a few more times. Originally, I was high on it and then I fell uh, off my sword. It's interesting, too, because Joseph will know at, at the end of the year. At the end of 1980, Joseph will go, yes, but back in February, you said. <laughs> and and I think that's totally cool because uh, I will forget about what I said and how I felt about a specific album, you know, so many months later. Um, but yeah, uh, it's this one's not going to make not going to make my top 10. OK, that's a wrap. That is February of 1980. Astonishing amount of high quality output a lot of really pleasant surprises rob you want to just remind us of the albums that we've talked about the last two episodes yeah so we've got iggy pop's soldier young marble giants with colossal youth Elvis Costello and The Attractions uh, with Get Happy Lydia Lunch's Queen of Siam Random Holds, The View From Here, a.k.a. Etcetera-ville. Squeezes, Argy-Bargy. Selector, excuse me. The Selectors, Too Much Pressure. Psychedelic Furs, The Psychedelic Furs. Martha and the Muffins with Metro Music. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, or OMD for most of us. Uh, with their album, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. The Knacks, But the Little Girls Understand, Toya's Sheep Farming in Burnett, and the Ramones with End of the Century. 
So, Rob, our next episode is a deep dive episode. <laughs> what is our deep dive going to be on for this month? Every time you ask me that question, whether I know the answer or not, I'm like, oh, shit, <laughs> who is it? Uh, but <laughs> but uh, we're going to be talking about OMD. Yeah, um, very excited. About and I'm pretty it. stoked. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked, by yeah. the way. I just want you to yeah. know. So to get everybody excited, we're going to go out on uh, my very favorite OMD song. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. It was their first hit. Uh, a song called Electricity. Rob, Tony, this has been a very, very long episode. Thank you so much for um, for joining me on, in this excellent yeah. bunch of music. Any last thoughts before we go? Uh, I, I think it's just going to be interesting <laughs> to hear what the rest of the year sounds like after February. I feel yeah. wiped out. <laughs> okay, everybody. We will um, talk at you in one or two weeks, just depending on how things go. See ya.